2: Before we start the show, let's talk about Sundays for Dogs. At Sundays Food for Dogs. Website is SundaysForDogs.com. And Sundays for Dogs is dog food, yeah. And your dog deserves healthy, real food, not kibble. Sundays is real food for dogs, formulated by a vet with only the highest quality fresh meat, veggies, fruit, and superfoods, and air-dried to perfection. Made in the USA at a USDA human food facility. So that's really good. And if you love your dog... You're going to want to feed your dog the best food and this food is great. You get hassle-free money back guarantee. Tastes like a treat but it's really well balanced. If your dog is picky, this might help out. It's made from real, raw, whole food ingredients, air-dried with for super nutrition, taste and convenience and it's all natural and easy to serve and easy for your dog to eat. And when they eat well, they poop better too, so a nice smooth stool, increased excitement about eating, more energy, and improved weight and a softer coat. Now, you could take a quick quiz to find out if this is the right plan for your pup by going SundaysForDogs.com. And if you to make a big purchase, use promo code, code PODFIX, promo code PODFIX, and you get 35% off your order.
1: Begin PODFIX network transmission in three, two, one. Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean, casting nets, fish nerds. Fish
2: nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast. Hello and welcome to the Fish Nerds, the show about fish, fishing, and eating fish. I'm Clay Groves, Chief Executive Fish Nerd, Licensed Fishing Guide, and your best friend. I know our schedule for releasing podcasts has been uneasy lately. That's because my schedule in real life is uneasy lately, but I'm doing what I can. Still love making the podcast for you, so I appreciate you sticking around and getting through it. Luckily, we've got Doc Martin. Doc Martin is our science correspondent. She is at Emporia State University, been with the podcast for 10 years, and she loves talking about fish with us, and we're so lucky. So in the last episode, we talked about why sharks matter with Dr. Schiffman, and now we're doing another shark episode because Doc Martin, of course, the nerd she is, she likes to get into it also, and so she met shark researcher and paleontologist Phil Starnes, And she's going to interview Phil Starnes all about sharks. And there's a special surprise at the end of this interview. And that's it. We're going to jump right into the show. Here is Phil Starnes and Doc Martin.
0: Hey, everybody. Doc Martin here. I'm really excited to bring you um, our guest today. We have a shark researcher here who's going to talk about what he does and some of the specifics of some of his recent shark research. Uh, research and then we have a special special guest at the very end um, who will ask some cutting edge questions I'm sure and so uh, welcome Phil shark researcher Uh, thanks for joining us on the fish nerds
3: yes thank you so much for having me here and uh, yeah happy to talk about sharks for the next 40 minutes hours so (laughs) this should be a lot of fun
0: Well, I hope so. Uh, Your research is very interesting. Uh, But before we jump in there, why don't you give us a little bit of a background on just generally where are you at in your career and what is your specialty?
3: Yeah. Uh, So right now I'm finishing up. Yeah, because I finally survived the third year. Um, I'm finishing up my third year in the Ph.D. program for the Department of Evolution, Ecology, and Organismal Biology here at the lovely University of California, Riverside. So uh, for those who don't know where that's at, it's about 45, 50 miles east of Los Angeles, or a little inland, but it is the nice uh, Southern California area. Um, Yeah, so just finished up my third year. Uh, Previously, I'd done my master's degree, which took two years. So uh, I've been at the graduate level the past five years, and that's where I've exclusively focused on studying sharks, uh, why sharks look the way they do, how sharks swim, uh, how does this relate to their ecology and lifestyle, and basically what I've had the joy of doing is I've gotten to know all the shark species, because to understand body form patterns, their evolution, you have to look at every single species, and sometimes you have to go back in the past to see how things changed over the last couple hundred million years, because the great thing about sharks is they've been around for 400 plus million years. So there's a lot of evolutionary history to dig through. And then the other tricky part is sometimes you only got teeth to work with, but sometimes you get those rare uh, preserved skeletons, which are great to look at, and they'll give you some insights. So uh, it's been a joy because I've loved sharks since I was five years old uh, after watching Jaws uh, for the first time. And I actually just watched it not too long ago, ironically, because I watch it eh, a couple of times a year, especially in the summertime. So, yeah, here now finishing up my third year of the Ph.D. program and hopefully we'll be wrapping up in the next year or two and then moving on to even bigger and better things.
0: Awesome. Um, you did mention you study body form. Can you just explain for our listeners what that is exactly?
3: Yeah. So basically it's just, there are different regions of the body. You can look at So you got the head, you got the tail, you got the iconic tail fin, you got the dorsal fin, which is up on top. They'll break through the water. Then you got the two fins on the side, which are called the pectoral fins. And then you got two smaller fins that are in between the pectoral fins and the tail. And those are called the pelvic fins. So um, basically what I do is, in certain projects, I look at the whole shark and nothing but the shark. So basically the overall shape of the shark. So it's pure morphology. And then other times I will just focus on one aspect of the shark's body. So whether it just be the tail fin, because are they differently shaped among other shark species? Or I'll just look at the pectoral fin is like, how are those differently shaped and how do those relate to their ecology and lifestyle? So basically take a picture of a shark and you look at it, you can see you know, is it a uh, deeper bodied shark? Is it a more slender, narrow shark? You know, I can tell people it's like, all right, great example, or just focusing on the head. Hammerheads have the unique cephalofoil that looks like hammer and all other shark species don't have that hammer. So I've asked questions, about well, why does it look the way it does? So you'll see these patterns uh, all throughout the sharks. And it's just cool to see how those things have changed and why they look the way they do, because is it because of their lifestyle or is it just something happened way back when it's just a leftover? And that's how it is today. So yeah, basically look at the whole shark and nothing about the shark and why does it look that way? That's the questions I wonder.
0: And so when you're, you're measuring those, so you take a a photo, um, and you do some morphological measurements. I'm going to assume based on, I don't do this very often, but like comparative morphometrics where you're just the distance from, you know, this fin to this fin as the function of a distance from another, from another thing. And you kind of do ratios Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Is that what you do?
3: Yeah. yeah. So yeah, you're hitting the nail on the head. Um, so it does vary. So those are what we call like our standard morphometrics measurements. Mm-hmm. So um, yep, I've done that plenty of times. I just did that with one of my recent projects. It's fun. Uh, most of the time it is with dead sharks because or I should preserve specimens because sometimes it is rather difficult to catch live shark and bring it up on a boat and take all those measurements with the tape measure, not get bit which uh, can happen to some unlucky researchers. So uh, what I will do is I will go to museum collections and I will pull out preserved shark specimens. They may have been caught like back in the fifties and they've been preserved in this lovely uh, ethanol for a long time. And they smell great once you pull them out. So <laughs> you'll take a tape measure and you'll you know, measure the length of the fin and then you'll take a picture of it with a ruler in the picture. And then you can go back later on and use the fancy program called ImageJ and uh you have the scale bar so you can scale it and then you just trace the outline of the fin and it'll tell you the area of the fin which is great because obviously you know if you're doing the area of a square you know it's length times width and that gives you the area but when you got an irregularly shaped thing like a fin you can't just do a standard you know length times width so you trace it and then the program can actually calculate the area for you and then going on yes ratios So the critical uh component i've been looking at is called aspect ratio which is uh well, most of my dissertation research has started to focus on with the pectoral fins. But yeah, aspect ratio is just the relationship between the length of the fin and the area of the fin. So um, when you think about like planes, I guess that's the best way, the best example is that like long, narrow uh, plane wings tend to have, those are what we call high aspect ratio pe- or pectoral fins, wings. And those are good for gliding long distances, uh, very fuel efficient. And then you think about so like you- a fighter. Oh, yeah, I'm going to yep, interrupt no. Did you. Do any yep.
0: sharks have long, narrow fins?
3: Yeah, yes, yes. So we do see that with the truly iconic oceanic species, um, like a blue shark, one of the most common, like, uh, most common pelagic species you see out there. So a very long, narrow fin, which is just exciting. And then the other one, which I would argue is probably the most deadly, uh, the deadliest shark in the world, which is the oceanic white tip, because if you run into it, things don't tend to fare too well. Um, mm. Unfortunately, the survivors of the USS Indianapolis found out the hard way way back one so um, yeah long narrow fin there as well but then you got other shark species um dogfish sharks cat sharks it's a very like short rounded fin so it's like a oh, very low aspect ratio which was i was going to get to exactly next so yeah like a fighter aircraft that, in case anyone's seen the new top gun recently which has been in theaters like our fighter aircraft tend to have like low aspect ratio uh wings so they're very good for maneuverability they can turn on a dime and that's what we think the sharks use them for but they're not very fuel efficient it's like not good for long distances it's like okay you can do a lot of quick things and then if it's a plane you're going to burn fuel and have to go back you know pretty quick if it's a shark you can turn a lot move a lot it's not very fuel efficient you might have to rest on the bottom which I'll discuss later with uh, the ecology so yeah there's your standard morphometrics it's just it's length measurements and pictures and then the other thing that i've utilized uh it's a fancy tool which has been going on for a little bit i think its inception was back in the 80s uh it's called geometric morphometrics so um what you do is again you take pictures of a lovely shark in this case and you would Plots. You, so you use a computer program. You're going to plot these little dots on the fin or whatever shape you're looking at and you use homologous points. So it's like points that are present on every single specimen or sample in your study. So in this case, if you got like a tail fin, there's there might be four iconic points on it, like the upper and lower uh, origins of the tail fin and then the two tips the two uh, apexes of the fin. And then you can put even more dots on there called what we uh, call them semi landmarks, and they'll actually trace the curve. So what this program will do is it will eliminate size, position and orientation, and it will just purely look at the shape of the object. So it's like, it's the most uh, quantitative assessment of the shape. So instead of just like a standard linear measurement or just area measurement, it's telling you what the actual shape looks like compared to each other. So it's very useful if you're trying to compare the shapes of any objects to each other or sharks in general. So it's, uh, it's fun and it gives you a lot of cool uh, quantitative data that can give you insights on many different things, including sharks.
0: And you did mention earlier, so you take pictures of preserved specimens uh, or maybe of live sharks, if that's a possibility. Yep. Um, but you did mention like uh, stuff that's been gone for a long time and you only have teeth measurements. How does that play into comparing more recent specimens?
3: Yeah, that is one of the greatest hurdles we face uh, with uh, trying to understand shark evolution. So, you, you know, it's great for the shark paleontologists and just the shark community in general because we have arguably the most uh, abundant uh fossil vertebrate in the entire uh, entire fossil record so because of the teeth are just shed constantly throughout the lifetime of the shark so those will get buried in the sediment and it's like oh we found another tooth and then it's a lot of fun once you have to compare teeth to each other and figure out okay is this a new species or not so you have a bunch of teeth um, so when it comes to trying to understand the body form that's where it gets tricky because you can make the inferences that this is probably a similar looking species based on the tooth because if they share a similar tooth pattern we would assume that it's as a close relative and we would think the body shape should be the same um but yet, yeah, determining what it actually looks like sometimes that is that is very uh <laughs> it could be wishful thinking you make a lot of assumptions as i think some people have found out including myself so uh the what I call the jackpot or just like the great you know treasures if you get those preserved outlines with the teeth so it's like you know everything it's like okay it's this tooth so say you had the tooth back in um, a museum collection a long time ago and it's like all right we know it's a species and then 56 years later you go out to a dig or to a site and you find a preserved specimen with the teeth and you pull off the teeth and you say oh my god it's this tooth. Then you can go back and be like all right so now we know any shark that has this tooth would probably look like this because we have that preserved outline. So when it comes to predicting uh, what a shark looks like just based off its teeth, we just compare it to the modern day sharks and say, okay, it has a tooth shape similar to that. So we would expect it to probably look like that generalized body shape, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. And then uh, my question is, I guess, if you have the teeth um, and there's lots of different teeth, lots of different species there, <laughs> Have you ever found the teeth and thought, oh, this must look like present day shark A. And then you find the preserved body outline and say, oops, oh, no, we made a mistake. Has that ever happened?
3: Uh, Not yet to me. I mean, yeah, I I haven't had that happen just yet, but it's I'm sure it has happened to others that are just like. Hmm. That's weird. So, because there are times, and this is another thing is uh, the, the concept of convergent evolution, because that you might have, um, the, the, they'll, they'll arrive to the same body shape, you know, and that's it, what it, convergent
0: it, evolution really yes. is, is starting mm-hmm. off from different places and coming yes. to the same point. Yeah, yeah.
3: yeah. So we'll get, you know, we'll start at two totally different areas, but yeah, we'll converge to the same final end point. You know, I, I mean, the most iconic thing. Is you know the the marine mammals, um, you know like dolphins and whales look just like you know sharks in a way with the same body shape. Now the only thing is dolphins and whales have uh, a fluke which goes up and down, whereas sharks have a caudal fin that goes from side to side. Uh, unfortunately, the mammals just could not rewire their uh, neuromotor patterns to go back to side to side swimming. So as you know, you think about how we walk know moving along so they just kept with that pattern going up and down they still evolved the same uh tail and fin shapes um uh, as sharks which is just crazy so uh yeah convergent evolution that's uh that is an interesting thing because you got to think you know with teeth that's like the shark that that is everything to the shark um because they devote so much energy to producing teeth throughout their life and obviously you'd want to have teeth that are good for capturing your prey so are you going after a soft body fish or are you going to be a crushing specialist you know a eater. So. We do see the conversion evolution in teeth. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that the body's going to do the same thing. So you bring it up a good point. It's like, Oh yeah, the teeth might look the same as another species, but we don't know if the body looks the same. So again, it's a lot of inferences. Uh, you take a lot of assumptions, but sometimes once you get that preserved specimen and you find out, Oh yes, I was right. It's a bit of a, yeah, you throw the confetti in the air celebration. celebrations <laughs> like it, it all worked out. Well, I feel like I'm a genius and whatnot. So it's yeah it could be speculative but it, it when you get the right answer it's very rewarding
0: and so of, of extant sharks the ones that are mm-hmm. still alive and you can get their teeth fairly easily mm-hmm. um when do you really start to have trouble telling the difference between individuals like is are there's lots of different species of hammerheads do they all mm-hmm. have really similar teeth and it's really hard to tell but you can definitely tell between like you know, a uh, dogfish and a hammerhead or where does that differentiation lie?
3: Yeah. So there's, yeah, it, it's um, I remember the first time I tried doing this and uh, my former advisor, uh, Dr. Ken who he, he watched me try to do it, like organize the teeth, the teeth based on similar species and he was, uh, he saw me, you know, make the piles on a piece of paper and they, you know, he left me to it for like an hour and then he came back He's like, oh yeah, I see you were having a fun time doing that. I was like, oh yeah. So uh, the first time you do it, it's a bit daunting. Um, yeah. So the good thing we do for the most part, we see within like each lineage of sharks, the teeth, the tooth pattern tends to be conserved. So it's like cat sharks will have similar teeth The cat sharks, you know, the lamniform sharks, the iconic one that has, um, white sharks, mako sharks, Uh, for the most part, you do see some similar patterns, but yeah, the lamniform sharks, which if we talk about them more today, they're a very oddball group because, you know, you got the big white shark, which has large serrated teeth, but then you got other sharks in that same lineage, like the thresher sharks, they have very small minute teeth because they do this, you know, they use their tail to stun their prey and then the prey will be stunned. And they'll just eat the little prey, you know, these little uh, schooling fish, whereas a white shark is going to take down possibly a marine mammal. So it's going to have big, uh, large serrated teeth. So yeah. Um, there, one of the shortcomings that we have and what a lot of shark paleontologists have the issue with, there's a recent paper that suggested that we need more data on the extant sharks because surprisingly, there has not been a lot of work on uh, extant shark teeth. Like there is, you know, in the most recent uh, book, Sharks of the World, they do have pictures of the teeth from like each uh, shark jaw set, which is good. So it's very helpful. But you do see, yeah. The teeth can look very similar. So getting down to the species level, it can be very difficult to differentiate who's from who. So maybe at the genre level, you can be like, okay, it belongs to the scyllorhinus genus or it belongs to the Lamna genus or something like that. But getting to the actual species, that's where it can get pretty tricky. So yeah, you do run into that issue. And um, yeah, the, I'll go with the paper as well. We need more people to work on extant shark teeth if possible. I know it may not be the most uh, exciting thing, but if you know, people can start really digging into that and get uh, data on that. And then the other thing I should bring up is, um, like with us, so obviously we have our baby teeth and then the large adult teeth will come in. So we just get one replacement set. And generally they're just, you know, bigger teeth, stronger, and they will be, uh, you know, in our jaws, hopefully unless you have an unfortunate accident and you should get a tooth chipped or lose one in a, you know, bad way, which I hope doesn't happen to anybody or you just don't take care of your teeth. But sharks don't have to worry about that. They just constantly shed them. Um, again take the white shark for example we're trying to look into this great concept of do the teeth change throughout the life of the shark do they change in shape so you have tooth shape change throughout the life of the shark as well so you have that issue as well as it gets older do they get bigger do they get wider compared to when they were a juvenile so that's another issue because you can look at the teeth and be like oh it looks like this species but then you're just like oh no, this is actually a juvenile white shark and not you know a short fin mako shark or a poor beagle shark or something like that. So you can run to the end of that as well. And then the third thing I'll actually bring up is within the jaw set of the shark, you have so much variation from like the center part of the teeth, like right at the center of the jaw and you go work your way laterally, you can see that the teeth change uh, as you go from the center to the lateral part of the jaw. So that's why we have a great example of heterodonty, of different uh, tooth shapes all throughout the jaw. So yeah, it's, it's, it's very tricky. Again, my previous advisor, Ken Shumata, has tried to reconstruct, reconstruct the jaw sets of uh, extinct sharks. And he's a seasoned pro and it can be very uh, difficult and trying at times. So yeah, no, no, no cakewalk, that's
1: for sure.
0: Awesome. And so you use all of these things, like teeth to tell you what that shark might look like based on other extant sharks or whatever that is and that tells you something about the ecology that's kind of the general goal here is you understand what they look like and then what does that tell you about that shark so um i know you have a recent publication i think that just came out this year on the scalloped hammerhead yep and is that a similar process that you used for that paper
3: yeah, so that's, uh, and that one, I was able to just look at the pure morphology of the shark. So just the whole shark and nothing but the shark. And um, yeah, so no teeth involved with that, luckily, because it's a nice living <laughs> shark. And we have, uh, we have plenty of uh, specimens here along uh, California, because, you know, they used to be quite frequent uh, along the Southern California coast. But uh, the fishing and other things have changed things, but they're still present down uh, as you work your way towards Mexico. And uh, the Gulf of California. So uh, there were some other scientists that would catch them and whatnot. And they tell us, oh, there's a whole bunch down here. But then I found out the museums have plenty of specimens for me to collect enough data. So, uh, yeah. So my question was, um, what I noticed is once uh, the, the scalloped hammerhead's has an interesting species, because like some shark species, um, the pregnant females will go to go to nursery areas so shallow water uh, little inlets and they'll give birth to the pups there and the pups will be there so there'll be a bunch of you know scalloped hammerhead pups swimming around with each other and they're protected from larger sharks and predators because uh, one thing about sharks is they are cannibalistic and uh just larger sharks lead smaller sharks so yeah it's a lot of fun trying to be a shark in this world um you just got everything trying to eat you. Everyone thinks they're quite dangerous, but it's just, it's hard to even get to the, you know, the the survival point. But yeah, so you got um, the little juvenile pups swimming around in this nursery area and, you know, they're born uh, right around 30 to 40 centimeters uh, total length. And then um, what will happen is the shark will get bigger. So they'll spend maybe a year in this nursery. And then what happens is I should set up this way. The Shellwater Nursery, it's like, it's maybe like a meter deep. So that's like three feet deep. And they're they're moving in a very limited home range. So it's like, you know, very short distances, swimming around in circles almost. And you have all kinds of different prey, a lot of benthic uh, prey, benthic fish, you know, uh, maybe some uh, shrimp, crabs and whatnot that they might be able to feed on. But what happens is as a shark gets bigger and uh, right around 100 centimeters total length. So as a shark gets bigger it will shift out of that habitat and go out into what we call the pelagic realm a lot deeper. So instead of being at three feet deep for the first like year of its life, it'll go out to like something like areas that where it's like a thousand feet deep and whatnot. And what they'll do is they'll travel long distances in the pelagic realm and they'll start making dives. to will capture deep water squid and other uh, fish as they get bigger. So my question was, is the ecological habitat would have different functional demands from being in a shell water habitat where you got to make very quick maneuvers and you're searching for prey along the bottom to going out on in the pelagic realm where you're making long distance migrations going after prey in the water column where it's like so there's no bottom to like trap the prey you have to chase them down in the open water which is a lot different.
0: And that's a so, lot like the two different fin types you were talking about earlier those short yep. squat fins versus
3: yep. those long thin fins i bet that's where we're going that, that's exactly where we're going so i want to see is you know as i just talked about the teeth over you know in this case it is on taji but uh, the problem that you run into once it tries to get to uh, once you try to collect museum specimens mm-hmm. um and i've been to plenty of museums it just gets hard to hold larger specimens in these tanks so the scalloped hammerhead will be born from 30 to 40 centimeters, but as a fully grown adult, it'll be up to about four meters total length. So that's right around a little over 12 feet. So trying to get a big tank to hold a 12 foot shark specimen is, uh, yeah, the, the museums are just like, yeah, I don't think so. Cause that takes up a lot of space. <laughs> so you do hit a bit of a cap on what you can uh, get to. So I, I was just at a limit of like right around, um, 130 centimeters total length, give or take. So, it, the point that I found out that was right around it was like 95 centimeters. Actually, there was a cool study that showed uh, one spec or one specimen. This one's living. One individual shark uh, traveled uh, about 2,000 miles in a 10 month span. So uh, not bad for a little 95 centimeter shark, you know uh, okay. pretty good. Yeah, so I traveled a very long distance. I'm just like, in order to do this, you know just to be a very efficient swimming, moving animal, uh, lower your cost of transport, be able to probably swim a little faster, go after different prey. I would think the shark would have to, I mean, not that the shark just says, I need to change how I look, but I would think way back sometime that it evolved to change, um, to be shaped differently in the different environments. And what I found out is as the shark got bigger, you know, from when I was born to this length of about 130 centimeters, it did change in a lot of different aspects of its body. So the, sh- the body shape changes started. of Taper off and become more, uh, yeah, more of a teardrop shape in a way. It was showing, uh, uh it, it was becoming more streamlined, so it would reduce drag and whatnot. And then the fin shapes did change. We saw an increase in aspect ratio, which would probably promote that better cost of transport, low, lower drag, and help with uh, lift and whatnot. So. It, it was cool to see if the shark actually changed its shape as it shifted its habitat. So I was like, yes, exactly what you said. We got high aspect ratio pectoral fins uh, evolving in the pelagic habitat or showing up in the pelagic habitat. So it was fascinating to see. It's like even within the lifestyle or the, you know, short span of the shark's history, it will change how it looks or it will change because the ecology has changed. And it's just like, yep, this has been selected for it. We need to look this way to be a successful predator in a different habitat. So it was really cool to see that happen with just one species.
0: Very cool. And so uh, as you're studying the scalloped hammerhead and you mentioned Mm -hmm. ontogenetic shifts, and that is that is the shift in that morphology change as Mm -hmm. it goes from a little baby shark into a Mm -hmm. more grown up shark. Um, And so that's maybe not surprising. I don't think that surprised you, but that's really nice to confirm. Would that be fair to say?
3: For, for the scaled hammerhead, it was, yeah, that was the hypothesis and prediction. So I was like, okay, I was right. That's that's one of those great moments where it's like, okay, I, I still think Eureka, or not not necessarily Eureka is the best moment, but the there's a quote that says, ha, that's funny. It's like, you actually are wrong and you find something even cooler and more interesting, which did happen to me before. Um, but yeah, it was cool to see. Yep, I, that was the idea that the shark changes its habitat. It's probably going to change as it gets older, it gets bigger, and it looks like, you know at this point it seems to be confirmed and supported that it does go through that but you don't see that pattern with every shark species some just purely they just get bigger like they don't change in shape it's just the shark just gets bigger everything grows at the same rate it's like the fin just gets bigger it's still the same shape as it was before once it was a, a baby but in this case the scallop tamper has like no the fin shape definitely changed as it got older so it's an interesting pattern that i'm uh probably going to investigate further throughout uh my uh shark studies is it's it, you're starting to see a bit of a pattern it tends to be the larger shark species that show uh the allometry and the change mm. autogenetic change but the smaller what we regard as like smaller species like yes they're a smaller shark but they're born small and they'll get to a certain length uh they tend to yeah they, they, they tend to stay the same shape overall but they just get bigger in size if that makes sense
0: and uh that has to do with maybe where the change in the habitat from maybe those smaller sharks are born and stay yep. within yep. a habitat that's not quite as big as that's, the open ocean and they're not moving around as
3: much. That's exactly it. Yeah. So there's a cool, I mean, it's like, I, I, those raise some questions because there's a species. So, uh, the black tip shark, which is found, um, you'll find it. There's some great drone videos and I, unfortunately the, for the lovely, uh, bathers and swimmers in, uh, uh, what County is it? Um, uh, new, uh, new Smyrna Beach over there on the east coast of Florida, which is near Daytona, uh, don't go to that beach if you don't want to get bit by a shark on the foot because it's called the shark bite capital world because um, what happens is a lot of black tip shark species will be swimming through there, and they'll bump into a swimmer and they'll just bite their foot and you get a little shark bite so um What we found out is, yeah, those species, they go through what we call isometry, exactly what he says. They stick with that same habitat all throughout their life. So they're born along the coast and they just stay along the coast. You do see some segregations like, yeah, the smaller ones will tend to cluster with each other than the larger ones will cluster with each other, but they don't really shift their habitat at all. They're just a nice coastal species and they'll move up and down the coast and that's it. So it does make sense. It's like they're born in the same habitat and they stay there all throughout their life why would the functional demands change? So yeah, exactly. Great point. When you change the habitat, that seems to be the the driver of like, oh yeah, you probably are going to have to change how you look because you're in a different area. But these species, same spot, same place, no need, just get bigger, faster. But for the most part, you've you've been there, you know what to do. It's just going to be the same for you.
0: And so when we think of the research that you're doing on, on the big picture here, Mm -hmm. body forms and changes over these really long periods of time of what importance does this have to either the shark research community, or maybe just the folks that study body, body morphology in general, uh, what is the big important takeaway here?
3: Yeah. I mean, so I I've, always been yeah, that's that's a question that will come up you know during an oral exam they're asking like why what is the importance of all this and I, it's still a question that you know i don't say it keeps me up at night but it's just like well what is going on here because uh the, again i i make the case for sharks being the coolest ones out there because they've just been around for such a long time you're just like they, they've seen a lot i mean they, they have that i give them like my analogy for what sharks are is they're like a heavyweight boxer and that they just keep taking these punches round after round. And sometimes they'll get knocked down and then they'll just come right back because in the 400 million year history that they've been around, there's been plenty of mass extinctions. There's been a lot more competition for them. Things have changed on the earth, but yet, this lineage has continued to survive and thrive. Uh, although of course the greatest threat the sharks have ever faced is occurring right now. And it happens to be these uh, individuals <laughs> who are on two legs and they like to throw their hooks in the water and bring them up out of the water. But it's amazing that a terrestrial species can cause so much damage to an aquatic species, but uh, that's a whole shark conservation debate. Um, so not to go off too, uh, too far off topic, but um, yeah. So the question is, cause when we do get some of these specimens, um, that are dated back hundreds of millions of years. We can see what did they look like way back when? Because one of the questions we all raise is like, that it appears sharks are slower to evolve. At least when you look at their molecular uh, DNA information compared to like mammals, it, it's uh, trying to understand the DNA of sharks is also <laughs> a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, looking at their evolution, it, they, they move at it's a lot slower rates. So we do wonders like, what happened? Did they just get to certain body forms and shapes? And then has that design worked for such a long time? It's like, no matter what's happened on the earth, like, okay, there was climatic cooling, you know, maybe there's a change in prey or maybe there's another predator that showed up and this competition's going on, the environment's changing, but the shark body design is good for like any situations. Like it's good for, you know, it's good for those high speed chases. It's good for the quick maneuvers. So despite that things have changed, Does it show that, you know, is there an optimal, I don't want to say like design, but it's like when you have so much evolutionary history, you're probably going to arrive to these final endpoints. It's like, no, this is, nothing's perfect because things are always changing with, you know, uh, certain minute things happening in the environment, but they get to this optimal area where it's like, this is working well for them. And since you've kind of reached a stasis, it's like, okay, we're here. And like, this is working. And then, you know, that's the same constant prey. But then even once a radical change happens, it's like, okay, we got to make a shift. It still works for that shift. So it's a, it raises the question. It's like, do we have the same body form throughout this long uh, evolutionary history? It's just worked. It's like this optimal design. Because sometimes, and I go back to what Shemar told me. is like, did they just get lucky? It's like, that, did the genes just give them like this lucky thing? It's like, all right, producing teeth constantly all throughout their lifetime, just producing, uh, you know, larger uh uh, baby sharks. So instead of like most species, which will produce like a thousand offspring, but they're very small, they'll get picked off. They produce large, uh, larger babies in this case compared to other fish species. They're already like ample predators. So it's like, did everything just work for them? Did everything just fall in line for the lineage of sharks? And be Like, okay, these all these traits work well. And then one of those questions is, did the body design just work out well? But again, there's a lot of variation in body design throughout the shark, uh, throughout the shark phylogeny. So. I, Again, going back to the original questions, big pictures. How does that shape of the shark work throughout its long evolutionary history? Has it changed because of the environment or is it just the optimal design that's been efficient for a very long time? And that's something I continue to think about and toll uh, over for the last, uh, it's been on my mind the last five years since I started this venture. I'm trying to get those answers and be like, okay, hey, this makes the most sense, but. Uh, whether that happens in the next year or two, once I try to defend my dissertation, or <laughs> if it takes another 10 to 15 years of pure shark research of looking at all these different aspects, mm-hmm. then I'll have the answer. I don't know, but that, that's the long road that I'm on, and it, it's a fun journey.
0: Awesome, and do you think, I just, this is, I don't think there's an answer to this question, but I got to ask it. Mm-hmm. What would it take for the sharks to survive and have just a radical body change? Do you think that's that's even likely a remote possibility in the probabilities of our future timeline
3: and <laughs> our future timeline. So, well, will you and I live to see that? Probably not. I, I would say no. Um, cause again, them being very slow to evolve. I, I am curious cause it, you know, there are some very, I, again, okay. So the great example we have is the hammerhead lineage. So there's about, oh, I think we're at eight, no, eight or nine species, I forget, because then there's this Carolina hammerhead that looks identical to the lovely scalloped hammerhead that I studied. So that gets tricky, because you have to use DNA, be like, oh, it looks identical, but it's DNA different. But yeah, so that's going down the rabbit hole. So what's interesting (laughs) is uh, with the hammerhead lineage. So if you go to like, what we call like the, uh, the earliest representative of hammerheads of the extant ones, it's called the winghead shark. And it actually has the largest head so it's got the longest uh cephalfoil out of all the species mm-hmm. and then what's interesting is the most recently evolved species of hammerhead is called this uh bonnet head sorry i was thinking of scale bonnet head it's actually the bonnet head shark but the bonnet head has the smallest uh cephalfoil out of all the species so we're starting to think it's like did they just randomly get the hammer by some weird mutation and then now that they're just actually trying to get rid of it as you know as they continue to evolve it's like oh it popped up and now it seems to be getting smaller throughout the uh, mm. hammerhead evolution which is quite extraordinary so you do wonder they're just some oddball characters that popped up and then you know it worked because i mean the hammerheads are still kicking or still kicking still swimming you know they're, they're doing just fine um and then there's a radical species i don't know if you've heard of it um it's called helicorpion and it's uh yeah, so it it you know the body design again, we we, we do speculate, but it, it's jaw set. it's it's the weirdest looking thing, you know. For and for anybody who's gonna be listening to this, it's like you can Google an image of a, a rendition. I mean, we do have the fossils look at, but it's got like a it looks like a saw within <laughs> the mouth of the sharks, and it's very creepy uh and weird looking so you do get some oddball characters so
0: last year we did have dr tapanilla who studies okay. those on here as an interviewer so if the, the listeners want to go back and listen to that yep. episode we yep. have links to some of those pictures of exactly yep. what you're talking about yep. where it's just boy is that a shark
3: <laughs> yeah you, you really do scratch your head it's just yeah mm-hmm. i i it's like so how did this it It's like okay it's a, it's a random thing so um yeah it, it, to get you know a, a radical, radical design. I just I don't know from what we've seen because we do have a nice diversity now. And you see again slender bodied sharks. You got some you know like the goblin shark, which looks creepy, it's got like a slingshot mm-hmm. jaw, and then again you got uh giant filter feeding sharks like the whale shark, mega mouth, and the basking shark. So they, those are like some oddballs there. So we we have our extremes for shark body shapes, and then we have those there in the middle. So um are we going to see anything outside that range? I don't know if we did though, that would be fascinating. Uh, but again, I think that'd be long after uh, we're gone because it probably take a while to get there unless some crazy mutation or there's, you know, it's like, okay, but uh, that could be a deformity and whatnot. So, um, will we ever say that? Probably not. Would I love to say that? Of course. It'd be like the greatest thing ever, but I, I don't think we will.
0: Cool. Um, any last minute thoughts you want to share with the listeners?
3: At this point, no. I I, well, I I would just say sharks are cool. Everybody should study sharks. Go to a museum or aquarium and look at, you know, fossil shark teeth or go see a living shark. Or, you know, the thing that I've learned since I started studying sharks, um, you know, I can read about them all I want. And then coming from the Midwest, you know, I can go to the aquarium and see them, you know, for a couple of hours. But seeing them in the wild in their natural habitat you just gain so much insight you just see what is the shark actually doing you know it's like you get these concepts and you watch shark week and when i was like oh they're just you know mindless predators and even you watch jaws and all that you're just like oh it's you know they're not like that you just seeing them in the natural habitat you just understand them so much more and then it gives you insights as a biologist like all right this is what the shark's doing on a daily basis this is how it's surviving in the environment. So um yeah for being a shark person just even any biologist in general seeing your animal or your you know species in its natural environment uh in normal conditions it gives you a lot of insight and appreciation of what you're actually saying so just reading text on a paper all the time it's like oh it did this in this experiment so yeah that that's one thing that i've learned is seeing it in its natural habitat is a really cool thing excellent
0: and so for all the listeners out there um if you're interested to learn more um, about I don't do you just want Phil the shark researcher? What sure, do you, that's what do you perfect. That, that, All that, that's right, perfect. Phil the shark researcher. Um, I'm gonna link uh, a couple of the papers that I have his most recent um paper from 2022 on the scalp hammerhead. Um, do you have any social media that the listeners could go see? Uh,
3: I do not have any social <laughs> media. I, I tend to, yeah, it was um, my, my friends urged me and they got me to go on. Uh, the only thing that I was able to they were able to urge me to go out with snapchat a couple of years ago so i can keep in touch <laughs> with them once i moved uh once i moved out here to california and i, I do frequently uh send them shark uh, videos and stingray things and yes just yesterday you can ask uh, yeah they found out as i was fishing yesterday i caught we caught uh, a bat ray and unfortunately the bat ray was not very i mean it's never happy once it has a hook in its mouth and you know i'm trying to take the hook out of its mouth and then send it back on its uh, merry way into the ocean. So, but once you're taking the hook out of its mouth, it it got a little, uh, a little agitated. It was trying to bite my finger and it left a little mark on there. So um, yeah, it wasn't happy, but ultimately uh, no damage is really done to the shark. slight or, Ray, right. in this case, slight hole in its mouth, but we tossed it back into the pier and it swam off uh, swimmingly and had a good day, but uh, it wasn't very happy once it had a hook in its mouth. So you, you learn that. But um, yeah, uh, social media, you no, know, I tend to stay low profile. I do have something called a research gate profile, though, which is uh, free for everybody Perfect. to look up. So that has all my posted research and um, has any updates that I'll provide. So if you're curious about the shark research, I suggest looking at my uh, research gate profile.
0: Awesome. Great. So we'll have a link to that paper and then also your research gate in the show notes. So fans can go read more of your stuff if they want to. Um, and then we have one more, um, super surprised guest. This is his first podcast appearance. And so, uh, it's my, my nephew, Kenny has a couple questions. He would love to ask you the professional, um, about what you do. And so I am going to switch seats with him briefly And Kenny, just sit down here, make sure you talk loud and clear, and introduce yourself to the listeners and to Phil, and ask the questions that you have, and I'll be right over here. This isn't
1: my first time being on the internet, though. Oh, not on the internet. All right. (laughs) Hi. (laughs) Hello.
0: Kenny. Yep. So just just take a deep breath and just say, talk really loud and introduce yourself. You're doing great. (laughs) Sorry. That's okay. You can take your time. (laughs) so you can look at me if it's more comfortable and you can tell me who you are that'd be fine sorry i'm just that's all right that was a pretty nice guy he's he's working on his phd and i bet he's been around lots of different kids of all ages and the best questions are questions from non-professionals that's what i think anyway i think those are the most fun to get so we're very excited to hear the questions that you have for us
1: oh here's a really big question for you uh why are you interested in specifically the megalodon and not any other shark? Like, oh,
3: uh, yeah, yeah, that's uh, that. That is a, okay. That's a great question, Kenny. Yeah. So, um, well, you got to think that the megalodon was the biggest and arguably the baddest shark to ever live. So, everyone just say, you know, it's like, why is everybody like the T Rex? You know, it's the biggest dinosaur around, and the megalodon, biggest shark around. And it's just, it's a very, uh, it's just it's really mysterious because it was it was around for a long time and then just disappeared all of a sudden we're just like why did it disappear it seemed like a cool shark a cool predator that was really uh Uh, Big and bad, I was able to take out everybody else that it competed with, but yet it just mysteriously disappeared. So it's a real cool mystery. and It's also just the biggest and baddest shark that ever lived. So you're just like, okay, I want to study this one. That's definitely the one I want to focus on. So yeah, just big, bad shark. I'm curious what happened with its entire life. So yeah, that's the reason why.
1: Okay. Uh, What gave you the idea to study field guide images of the megalodon and other... Sharks of that same species
3: Yeah, so it's it gets tricky because when you're trying to look at all the shark species in the world, um, it's hard to get that information of just pure pictures because some of them are found in like, okay, you got to go to Australia or go to Indonesia so you'd have to like travel and you'd have to try to find that shark species and that costs a lot of money and takes a lot of time to do and sometimes asking those people, find the pictures from way back when it's very hard so uh we want to do things quickly well not quickly but we want to have like a uniform uh pattern where it's just like oh everything's in one nice picture so it's like a nice big picture book everything's right there and the field guide has every drawing of every shark species so it's like all in one spot i'm just like okay i don't have to go asking people for this instead everyone has it in one spot and locations like i can just open up any page on the book and like oh there's that shark species there's the drawing i need It gives me all the information I need. So it's very helpful because it's like, hey, even if I don't know what the shark looks like, say you hear a species name, you can open up the book and be like, oh, this is what it looks like. This is its color pattern. This is how big it gets. So it's very useful because it's just a nice shark book for everybody, including the non-scientists and the scientists to use. It's very
1: helpful. Uh, What is your day-to-day life in the field of studying sharks?
3: Yeah, that's a fun question. So the best days are once I get to go to the field, actually, and like swatch the sharks with like drones and stuff and see them swimming around and record information on that. So that's a lot of fun once you actually get to see the uh, species. So um, that'll happen, you know, uh, a couple times a month once I get to go and actually see them. For the most part, as what other uh, scientists will tell you, is we sit at our computers a lot and just looking at all the information we recorded and we have to analyze it using computer programs. So uh, yeah, it's, it, it can be fun because unlike a lot of us who like to sit at our computer and watch YouTube videos and do other things where we could just relax, uh, you're gl- glued to your screen, uh, typing things out constantly looking at numbers and it makes your brain almost be on fire sometimes because you're trying to figure out, all right, what's happening and you have to make your computer run for a couple hours to analyze this data set. So for the most part, Uh, I am sitting at my computer just analyzing my data, looking at all these numbers on a screen. But the cool days are once I actually get to go out and see sharks in the wild and uh, see them swimming, doing their thing and recording, taking video of them and taking pictures of them, or going to a museum and looking at the uh, preserved specimens as well.
1: Okay, uh, this is my final question because I'm actually really interested in this field. What would be a good school to go to for this um field of science?
3: So for studying sharks, ah uh, wow, there's a lot of, you have a lot of options out there, but the, where are you going to find sharks? That's the question I ask. Uh, you're going to find them in the ocean, so I recommend most of the schools that are, you know, coastal schools or near the water, those tend to be your best schools because you can get close to the sharks and actually see them in the wild. So, uh, Florida has a lot of shark schools out there, that have schools that have shark programs, so the University of Miami at Florida has a huge shark program out there, uh, Florida International University has another shark program as well, um, here in California we have California State University of Long Beach, which has the shark lab, so we have those options, um, and then up in Stanford there's uh, the biolog- marine biological station that I'll look at and the sharks up there as well, so I would recommend any university that's near the water usually has a marine biology or shark program. And some have really big, a high profile, a lot of money uh, shark uh, programs that get their researchers up close and personal and produce great studies and whatnot. So those are the ones that jump out of my mind.
1: So you said you uh, swabbed sharks with drones?
3: uh swapped them well uh, we spied on them as i that that's spied. the word I, spied uh, on them yes yes spy so yeah we kind of just so the shark's just swimming sorry. along yeah no that's totally okay so yeah that's the great thing about drones because if you've ever seen a drone before uh you know it's, they're pretty they're pretty small and then they're very quiet so what's what's cool is we'll launch it and then we'll just fly it right above the shark and the shark doesn't know what's going on so what we find out is like when a diver goes in the water with the shark, or if we're on a boat, that tends to change its behavior. So we're like, is that its natural behavior, but when you're flying a drone above the shark, the shark doesn't know the drones there. So it's going to continue to do its daily thing, like it's walking in the park or something like that. In this case, it's just swimming along, but we can also see some really cool things where it's like, oh, it sees a stingray that wants to chase after, or it sees another bigger shark and wants to swim away from that bigger shark. So um, yeah, the drones give you a lot of cool information. And yes, I I would argue we spy on them because they don't know that we're looking at them and watching them doing their thing. So yeah, it's a lot of fun because you can see uh, how they're behaving and what they're doing on a daily basis.
1: Okay. Those are all of my questions.
3: All right. Thank you so much for those. Those are a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah.
0: (laughs) All right. So we're going to wrap this up. Um, Kenny, thank you so much for joining us. Phil, thank you as well. Um, is, uh, I guess if listeners have any other uh, questions, they can go and check out your ResearchGate profile anytime. Um, And if you come up with any new and fascinating research, I hope you reach out to us again because we would love to hear about it.
3: Absolutely. Yes. If anything, the the next big stuff that seems to be on the horizon I'm working at right now, I will be happy to reach out and let you guys know because it will be a pretty cool project. So, yeah, I will definitely be in touch.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much.
3: All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much.
2: Well, all right. Thanks, Doc. Thanks, Phil. So that's it. You've you've listened to a bunch of fish nerds when you should have been fishing. Big thanks to everybody for tuning in. We appreciate you. Thanks to uh, Kristen, my wife, for making me make this podcast now for more than 10 years. Thanks to, uh, boy, our music guy, Wally Pleasant, for making the music for this pod. I am so out of practice. And of course, thanks to everybody. All right, let's get out of here. Uh, until next time, follow the code of the fish nerds. Spawn early and often. Never trust a free lunch with strings attached and swim against the current every chance you get. News, news. Whether you're kicking the buttons extreme, right, <laughs> no or deep in the ocean,
1: casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds. The helmet. fried in a basket or broiled in a pan eat it raw like you're in Siam fish nerds fish nerds fish nerds